of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 3 this morning, and we'll be starting uh, Acts chapter 3 and finishing it up next week. Uh, This morning, we're in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. Uh, Follow along uh, as we read uh, God's word together. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. And I'm actually, uh, verse 16 kind of cuts off right in the middle uh, of Peter's uh, sermon. So next week, we'll focus more on on the sermon. This week, we're going to focus on the healing a little bit. Uh, Listen to the word of God. Now, Peter and John were were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, as a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they had laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask for alms to to those entering uh, of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And now he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who had sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Uh, Why do you stare at us as though our our power or piety had made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murder to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man his perfect health in the presence of you all. Let's pray before we start the sermon. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, uh, we just ask that you would be here today, that you would uh, speak to us uh, through your word, uh, that that you would just have something for each one of us out of this passage. This this is your word. It is written and breathed out by you. And so we we come to it uh, by faith, knowing that it has things for us. But, Lord, we, we need the spirit to be at work in our hearts. Uh, we come with busyness in our minds uh, from a, maybe a chaotic week. And so, Lord, we, we just need you to to prepare us, prepare us for what you have for us. Uh, Lord, give me the, the words to say if there are things that that I haven't written down that I should say. Lord, just uh, bring them uh, to my mind, Lord, and, and we just place our, our trust in you during this time. In your name we pray. Uh, amen. Uh, I don't know if you're, you're like me, but perhaps you've been in conversations uh, with people and you've, you've had an opportunity to, to share the gospel and you, you just kind of uh, missed it. You, you walk away from a conversation and you go, oh, darn it, I should have said that. Uh, my mind works much faster uh, later on after I'm done with a conversation. Uh, when I was in college and stuff, we would get into to theological debates and I would, I would remember the, all those points that I had wanted to say after uh, the debate was over. And sometimes our, our evangelism efforts uh, can be like that. One of the things as we go through uh, the book of Acts, uh, we're, we're looking at how the early church was evangelistic. And we're looking at how we're to be evangelistic. And God puts us on a mission uh, to take the gospel to people. 
And sometimes we go through the, the busyness of our lives and we, we have a conversation with someone and we walk away from that conversation and we say, oh, that would have been the perfect opportunity to invite them to church. Or, oh, that would have been the perfect, I, I missed that, that moment where I could have said something uh, about Jesus. We need to be people who are ready to take advantage of, of every opportunity. Another thing I think that sometimes in, in our lives we, we get going and we get busy and we can just be so uh, scheduled in our lives and such a, uh, we have our to-do list, we have our places we need to be on a certain time, and we can miss opportunities because we literally walk right by them. You can almost imagine it in this passage if Peter had been like that, uh, walking into the temple and here's this person needing alms and and maybe thinking wow gee i don't have any money i just i'm I'm late for prayer it's the ninth hour and i said i'd be there by by three o'clock which is what the ninth hour was and just if we if he would have been a good american well we can't be late not going to stop and talk to this guy right now and yet sometimes those are the opportunities that god would have us take advantage of we all i myself have missed opportunities like that But, you know, the point of our passage this morning is that Jesus has the power to save. Jesus has the power to save, and we need to praise Jesus and take advantage of those opportunities to share with people that he has the power to save. You see, one of the things about evangelism is that evangelism, I think, flows from a heart of worship. And sometimes we we can hear sermons and we can... uh, put upon ourselves this this guilt trip of how I need to be more evangelistic. And sometimes there is a time and a place to remind ourselves in that way when we're not doing it. But really, evangelism stems from knowing God. It stems from from seeing who he is, understanding who Jesus is, the power that he has. And, and then God stirs in us a passion, a, a zeal for the gospel, As Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. That is something that God stirs up. So evangelism flows from worship. The better we know God, the better our relationship with Him, our walk with Him, the more we have a desire to tell other people about what it is that God has done for us. First, this morning, the greatest need in our lives is Jesus Christ. Do you really believe that, that the greatest need in our lives is the Lord Jesus Christ? And when we when we understand that, when we live that way, it it helps us to be more evangelistic because we say, this is my greatest need. This is my greatest joy. The only thing in life that can fulfill me. I want other people to experience this. I want other people to. To have this, our greatest need in our lives is Jesus Christ. And and Peter and John, this passage starts out. They encounter a man crippled in the temple. Look at verses uh, one, two, and three. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, uh, the ninth hour, uh, which I already mentioned. If we were converting it to to our uh, timekeeping, that would be about three o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid down at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. One of the things about a a lame uh, person uh, is we're we're pretty sure uh, that if you were lame, you were not allowed into some of the inner courts of the temple. Uh, in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus 21 says, uh, verse 18 says, For the one who has blemish shall, uh, for no one, excuse me, no one who has blemish shall draw near a man blind or lame or who has mutilated face or, or a limb too long. Now, in the context, it's speaking to Aaron and it's speaking to his his sons and the tribe of Levi and who was allowed into uh, the temple and such. But we think by the time of Jesus and the time of the early church, what had happened was they applied this to all lame people. 
So the, the temple had various courts and there were various gates and there was one of the courts where everyone could go was the court of the Gentiles. Uh, and women and Gentiles and all those people could go there. The, the inner courts of the temple uh, were only limited to men and particularly Jewish men. And so a large portion of the temple would have been cut off from this person who was lame. Uh, it would kind of be like, uh, imagine uh, if, if we uh, did not allow people inside the church building because uh, they were handicapped. Now, in the Old Testament, some of this had to do with ceremonial purity. Uh, by the time of the New Testament, God is showing us that those ceremonial laws can be removed because uh, Jesus has fulfilled them. But you can imagine uh, the emotions of this man. You can imagine uh, not only uh, can he not work, can he not provide for himself, he's dependent upon other people to give him things, but, but there is a, a limit to how close he can get to God's presence in the temple. And, and you can imagine uh, what this does psychologically to a person as they're sitting there every day, uh, they're begging for alms, they, they need help, and everybody is going in uh, to worship. And, and I'm sure, you know, just like Jesus tells the parable of the good uh, Samaritan, how, how various people passed by the man who was injured on the road, I am sure various people regularly passed by this man and ignored him. Peter, of course, does not pass by the man, and so he actually heals the man. Look at verses 4 through 7. Peter directed his gaze at him, as John did, and said, Look at us. He fixed attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus of Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. When we were little kids, we used to have a song uh, that we would sing uh, about this very story. And, and I don't remember it well enough to embarrass myself and sing it before you. But, but I remember singing the lines, silver and gold I have not. Peter says, I don't have any money for you but I have the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm going to share him with you. Of course, here in this case, Peter is, is enabled to, to actually physically heal the man. But I want you to notice two things about the healing. First, the healing is obviously done in the name of Jesus. So Peter says, I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. And, and what Peter has is not power in himself. Uh, what Peter has is not his own ability. He doesn't come and say, God gave me the gift of healing and I am going to heal you now. Rather, he says, this is Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. In fact, Peter will say in verse 12, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? So Peter even says, it's not me. It's not my godliness. It's not my piety. It's not that I am more spiritual uh, than all of you here. And that's why God healed the man. Consider today, sometimes we have people who have big ministries, even uh, big television ministries, and they will claim to have the gift of healing. And they even might heal people in Jesus' name or claim to heal people in Jesus' name. But one of the big differences between what we have going on in our day and what we have going on here is who gets the credit. Who gets the credit? Who does Peter attribute this to? You see, sometimes today when people run around claiming that they have the gift of healing, they, they set themselves up as an example of godliness. They set up their ministry. They, they even will say, you know, God gave me 
this ability and I am going to do I am going to do these things. They 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 give some credit to God. They say, you know, oh, God is working through me. But at the end of the day, they they want you to come to their ministry. They want you to flock around them. They want you to see how they've done this healing. That's exactly the opposite of what Peter does. Peter says Jesus has done this. Peter says Jesus gets the credit. Peter says it wasn't me or my godliness. It's interesting later on in Acts chapter 19. Uh, Paul is, is doing various miracles, uh, so much so that, that people are just getting saved when they come in contact uh, with a handkerchief and such that, that, uh, that Paul had and skin was touched. And, and it's interesting, what happens is some, some Jewish exorcists, Jewish people who were, were running around driving out demons, and, and one of these guys goes and he says to some evil spirits, he says, I command you in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches. And what does the evil spirits do? Do you remember? They answer him back and the evil spirit says to him, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? The man tried to use Jesus and the name of Jesus for his own benefit, to show off his own power, to say, I can be just like Paul. I can have a ministry just like him. And the evil spirits didn't submit. They knew when someone was a phony. They knew when someone was fake. The second thing I want you to notice about the miracle is unlike Jesus' miracles, Peter doesn't pronounce the man's sins are forgiven. There, you know, there's a situation, there's a number of different times where Jesus heals people, Right? But one in particular where he heals a crippled man. Remember the guy that was, was dropped down through the roof? Another good Sunday school story. And maybe you remember the flannel graphs that you, that, that you had put up. Um, and, and the man, they can't get to Jesus. So the friends take him up on the roof. They open it up, drop him right down. And, and Jesus says, uh, your sins are forgiven. And, and the Pharisees and everybody else who's around, they, wow, you can't do that. And then what does Jesus say? But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your beds and go home. You see, when Peter and the apostles are granted the the power to heal people, they aren't given the power or the authority to forgive sins. Peter does his ministry as a witness to Jesus Christ. Peter shares with this person Jesus Christ and the power of Jesus Christ. Last week, you know, the Pope came to the city of Philadelphia and to D.C. and to New York. Roman Catholics believe that the Pope is a descendant, uh, 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 not physical descendant, but, but a passed on authority of Peter, who was the head of the church. The Pope represents Christ, they say, the vicar of Christ. And the Pope, a man, has the authority to forgive sins. Peter, in this passage, doesn't have the authority to forgive sins. When you share the gospel with someone, you're being a witness. You don't have the power. You don't have even the ability to see that they get saved. And and when someone takes your word that you share with them, you share God's word and you bring it. And and we've had those times maybe in our lives where where you walk away discouraged because they didn't receive the Lord. If you were faithful to the message, you did the job that God called you to do. The power does not reside with you. Of course, people have to receive Jesus by faith. They have to place their faith and trust in Jesus. But it is the Holy Spirit who works. And in this passage, it is the Holy Spirit working through the apostles. Peter later on in Acts chapter 4 will say, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And, and the whole point 
of the healing and the healing ministries in Acts is to testify to everyone that Jesus really did rise again from the dead. That Jesus really does have the power to save. And sometimes we get distracted from that. We say, oh man, wouldn't it be great if we had all these healings like that today? Man, what is wrong with the church today that we can't do that? And sometimes we make it about ourselves. The whole purpose of the healing was to make it about Jesus. To tell people about Jesus. And we have that same privilege and responsibility to tell people about Jesus. So the great miracle then leads the man to praise God and leaves the people to wonder. Uh, Look at verses 8, 9, and 10. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. You, you can almost picture it in your in your mind's eye, right? Here's this guy, and, and I mean, he must have been so excited. Uh, later on, we find out he's about 40 years old. We know from our passage here, he had never walked. He was born crippled. And now all of a sudden, he's walking, and he's, he's dancing in church, and he's running around excited. And can you see some of the people in the audience... Hey, isn't, oh my goodness, that's, that's Bob who was always out, I don't know what his name was, but he was always out begging. Can you, can you imagine, here you are even, you, you have never entered into some of the inner parts of the temple. You have never experienced what all these people walking by you experienced. And here's Peter and he heals you and, and he tells you about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the way to God. That this man could not enter the temple. Just like the average worshiper in the Old Testament could not go into the presence of God, the Holy of Holies. And now Peter shares Jesus with this man and this man can go into the temple. It's the same way that now that we have the Lord Jesus Christ, we can draw near to Jesus having the forgiveness of sins. We have this wonderful pleasure of experiencing the presence of God. When we pray, we are drawing into God's presence. When we die, we will go into the presence of God, into not an earthly holy of holies, but the very throne room of God that is in heaven. And and why is this? This is because Jesus has made the way possible. You see how Jesus healing that man, or that man being healed in Jesus' name, now he can enter the presence of God, is is a pointer to us. We can enter the presence of God because Jesus forgives sins. You see, our greatest need is not money or health, Or all these other things in our life that we value. Sometimes even good things. But our greatest need is not those things. Our greatest need is Jesus Christ. Let me be real clear and let me just kind of, before we pursue this thought a little bit, just make a word of caution. I'm not saying that we should turn a blind eye to physical needs. And that's certainly not what, what Peter did here. Uh, the scriptures warn us very carefully about about um, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus, uh, pe- pe- Jesus saying uh, to people that had passed him by, you never fed me, you never cared for me. And he says, whatever you do to the least of these, you've done to me. Warning that we shouldn't neglect people's physical needs. James tells us. That we shouldn't, if we see a a brother in need, he says, if you see a brother or sister poorly clothed or lacking in food, uh, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, uh, giving them the things needed for the body, uh, what good is that? Or excuse me, without giving them things needed to warm the body, what good is that? In other words, if you see someone that has a need and you have the ability to to meet that need and and you just say to them, you know, I'm just going to pray for you, brother. 
Just just blessings upon you. Hope it goes well and you, you know, I'm, I'm late for church, so God bless you. And, and you go on. James warns us that that is not godliness. So I want to throw that caution there. But notice in our passage that while the man had physical needs, his greatest need was the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, we can go through life uh, meeting people's physical needs. But if we never tell them about Jesus, if we never say, you know, I'm giving you this cup of water, this bowl of soup, these clothes, this this help for your rent, I'm giving you this because God has given it to me and it's not mine. And my life belongs to Jesus. And let me tell you what Jesus did for me. Or, you know, you might have some physical problems right now, but really the only one at the end of the day, that can help you get your life back together with whatever you're going through is Jesus Christ. If we never tell them that, we aren't being faithful witnesses. Peter could have walked by and if he had some money, just dropped it in and and kept on going. I'm sure sometimes people did that very thing. I'm sure there were others who maybe walked by this guy and said, well, brother, I'll pray for you. Peter met the physical need, but he met the spiritual need by giving Jesus Christ to the man. We live in a, in a day and age where it is so easily to be distracted by what our real needs are. We live in the most prosperous nation probably in the history of the world. And yet we can be so driven in our daily lives by meeting those needs By taking care of ourselves, we worry about our families. We worry about paying bills. We worry about what the future might hold. Will I be able to retire on time? And yet our greatest need is not those things. Our greatest need is Jesus Christ. It's interesting to me, and and I think it's just part of human sinfulness, but it's often when we have more, that we worry more. It's often when we have more, when life is going well, when things are prosperous for us, we forget that our greatest need is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the greatest thing that we have to share with others is Jesus Christ, that He died on the cross and rose again from the dead. The man being healed in the temple was a sign of, of Jesus' power, not just to heal the physical body, but to save the man. To, To actually, in his death and resurrection, undo the power of sin and death. The reason people have illnesses, the reason people are lame, is a result of the fall. It's a result of sin. And Jesus Christ, when He dies and rises again, He he gets a resurrection body that is the new creation. That is our hope. That 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 is where we are headed, right? If we believe in Jesus Christ. And so this man being healed, it wasn't just God meeting His physical needs. It was God showing Him that, hey, one day, there's going to be a new creation. And Jesus Christ is the one who accomplished that. And you don't just want your paycheck for today. You don't just want food in your belly today. You want the new creation. You want to be in the presence of God. To enjoy Him. One of the things as you think about sharing the gospel with other people is people are going through their lives, filling their lives with every sort of thing, trying to fulfill their lives based on how their bank account is, how much money they have, the status symbols that they have, where they work, what they're accomplishing. One of the things in evangelism is reminding people, showing them maybe even for the first time, that all of those things that we think are going to fulfill us and satisfy us, They will all one day disappear. And the only thing that lasts forever is God. 
and we can be in God's presence. Remember the man, Jesus tells a parable of a man who had a whole bunch of barns and they were filled up. And the man says, I'm going to tear them down and build larger ones so I can store my grain. And this is what Jesus says. He says that the man says this. The man says, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Uh, I don't know if we talk like that. Soul, I've never said to my soul, you're doing pretty good. But that is, in a sense, the American dream, right? I've arrived. I can take early retirement. I can relax. I can eat, drink, and be merry. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, those uh, whose will they be? Everything. Everything in this life perishes Peter had just given the man some alms, if Peter had just given the man some food, all of those things would only be temporary. Peter gave him Jesus, and Jesus lives forever. I want to ask the question, because I think it's important to just kind of address a little bit, just briefly really, does God still heal today? There's two aspects to this question. One is is the question of power. Can God do it? Well, yes, of course God can do it. The second is, should I expect God to have apostles today like Peter? Men running around who, who can just lay a hand on someone and do it in that way? Let me try to answer this question in a couple ways. First, God still has the power over all his creation. God has the power of life and death and over disease. Can God heal? Does God often do the miraculous? The answer is yes. In fact, even more so than just God's power over it, Jesus Christ in the New Testament is is raised up and seated at the right hand of God. And we're told that he has been seated far above all rule, authority, power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. That's Ephesians 1.21. So Jesus Christ is, is said in, in the Great Commission, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So Peter here is a representative, a witness of the resurrection and saying Jesus has power. He can actually do these things. And that same power that Jesus has, he still has today. Second, though, however, there were some unique things about the gifts the apostles had. Apostles don't exist today. Why is that? Because the qualification to be an apostle was that you saw Jesus Christ physically, bodily resurrected. Remember when they had to choose a replacement apostle? He had to have been with the ministry the whole time. So on the one hand, God can do miraculous things. On the other hand, we have today people that run around pretending to be like Peter and John and Paul and saying, I have the power to heal. I was searching around on the Internet yesterday and I was just doing some kind of church search, uh, looking, um, actually trying to see how our new website looks online. But um, I ended up on another church website. I don't even know where it was. It wasn't in the area, but they had this link and, and it said, you know, click here for a prophetic word. And I'm like, all right, this is dangerous, but I, I want to see what it says. I want to see what they do. So then I clicked on it. Uh, and, and this is not an advertisement to just go randomly clicking on the web. But this thing came up and it and it told you how you could get a prophetic word from them. And then it said at the bottom, you know, click here to enter your PayPal so you can get the prophetic word. It was like thirty five dollars to get a word from God. And I'm like, wow, could, could you imagine the apostles doing that? You know, uh, what's your credit card number, sir, so I can uh, heal you right now before we go into the temple? Uh, you know, well, you'll have to log on to my website, sir. I, I don't do miracles here. But if you log on to my website and come to my crusade, then I will heal you. There are people out there that, that make it about themselves, that make it not about Jesus. 
And, and we fall for it because we go, well, it's healing. Well, it's good. Look, I want to see God's power. We believe that we see God's power, particularly when people get saved. But there are charlatans. And there were in the early church. I mentioned one in Acts 19 already. The normative or the normal way that the church instructs us or that, that the church is instructed to rely on God's power to heal is what? Prayer. James chapter 5 says, If anyone among you is sick, let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Uh, Fourth, God does and will act in such a way as to bring the most glory to Jesus Christ. I've heard stories, and I believe them to be true, about missionaries in Africa where they go into towns where there is witchcraft going on in the town, and the people are are enslaved by this witch doctor, and, and they believe that he has the power of healing. And when the missionary comes in, they have powerful experiences where they pray for someone in the name of Jesus, and it's healed. It's not a man laying his hands and saying, I have the power. It's simply praying and God does something. And, and there have been circumstances where God uses that because they think there's nothing that can insl- uh, free them from this demonic power. And, and Jesus' name is preached and proclaimed and they see themselves liberated. But the main point is not the healing. The main point is the salvation, the freedom that they now experience. But there are other times where God gets the most glory by not healing a person. You remember Paul had a thorn in the flesh. Paul, who had the gift of healing, could not heal himself of this thorn of the flesh. And he prays three times and God says to him, no, says my grace is sufficient for you. I'm not going to take it away. Don't get distracted. Sometimes we get distracted and we say, I wish I could be like Peter and heal people. That's what a church really looks like. That's what ministry should be like. I've had people tell me, you know, like if you don't have this going on in your church, you're not really proclaiming Jesus. The real miracle is when people move from spiritual death to spiritual life. And we think sometimes the miracle is what happens on the outside when someone gets healed. That is a great thing when that happens, and we should praise God. And some of us maybe have experiences where we prayed about an illness or something, and we prayed about someone who had cancer, and sometimes God heals it miraculously. Sometimes God just uses normal treatments to take care of it. But the real miracle is when someone moves and sees Jesus for who he is, and they believe. A really good example of God doing his work his way, I think, is Pastor Al Vivona. Some of you know him better than others. He just died recently after a long battle with cancer. There was a man of God. There was a man who, who prayed faithfully, And God didn't take the cancer away. And yet every time you talk to him, as he had this cancer, he just radiated a a joy. I, I think in this earthly life, it is the closest I've ever seen to someone feeling like they were literally reflecting the glory of God. We just talk about the greatness of God, how how wonderful God was, how God was sovereign. You you wanted to go up and like scratch his skin and and see if there would be some light of glory radiating out behind it. He was just that close to God in his relationship and his walk. He wasn't perfect, and he would tell you, obviously it was all by grace. But my point is this. There, in that situation, God was glorified most by taking Pastor Vivona home. In this situation, God was glorified most by healing the man physically. We don't know what God's will is. 
in some circumstances. But we know God acts in such a way that Jesus will get all the credit if we look to him in faith. That's the second thing as we uh, go on in our passage this morning. I just want to introduce just a little bit what Peter says. And I want to encourage you second this morning, praise God then by telling others about the power and majesty of Jesus' name. When God does something in your life, tell other people. Tell fellow Christians because it will encourage them. But tell non-believers so that they might know that Jesus is at work. Now, sometimes unbelievers will scoff. And, you know, if you say, well, you know, we were praying for so-and-so that had cancer and God has been answering our prayers because the cancer has been, work, been, been retreating and the treatments have been working. Sometimes unbelievers will scoff and they will say, well, of course, that's the medicine and that's the doctors and all of this thing, or you just got lucky. But the reality is we see spiritually what's going on. God is in control of all things. And we are testifying, whether or not people believe it, we are testifying that Jesus is in charge and we trust him through the whole thing. And you will encounter people in your lives that have gone through some of the same difficulties and they don't have a person to trust in because they don't have Jesus. And God can use you to be a witness So Peter uses then the astonishment of the people to evangelize. So they're all gathered around. They're utterly astonished. Verse 11 says, says they ran to them at the portico called Solomon. And then it says in verse 12, and when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare as though uh, by your own power or piety we have made him walk? Again, Peter refuses to take credit. Later on, The people recognized that Peter and John had been with Jesus. Chapter 4, verse 13. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived what they, they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Uh, let me just encourage you. Be talking about Jesus in your daily life doesn't mean that when we talk, when we share the gospel, that we necessarily have all the answers. Sometimes we're afraid to witness because, well, what if somebody asks me a Bible question and I don't know the answer? Uh, I was in a conversation actually a couple weeks ago uh, with a guy at the rescue mission who's an atheist. And um, it was when we were all there on Thursday night. And he just started throwing up all this stuff about, you know, ancient Egyptian history and And, and, you know, I I felt like when I walked away, I felt so bad because I felt like I had been a deer in the headlights. You know, it was one of those things where I walked away and then I remembered things that I should have said. But you know what? I didn't have all the answers. I did try to say a few things about Jesus, about his death and his resurrection. I hope I meet him again because now I hopefully have in my mind a few more things that I can say. But it's that willingness to talk that we need to have. It's that that boldness that God can give us that can be used of God. The fact that we tried to say something, we don't know what type of seeds uh, we are planting. Uh, I am not by nature uh, a bold person. Uh, Let's just walk up to someone on the street and and start uh, sharing my Bible with them. But, you know, God sometimes brings moments into our life that are divine appointments. Uh, Eleanor just shared with me this week. She was at the bank and had a chance to invite someone to grief share. Uh, I had a chance this week. I was in town and parking my car, and a guy started a conversation with me about how expensive parking was. And I didn't even share any of the gospel, but at the end I just said, hey, thanks for chatting. I'm a pastor, and I gave him the church card. Maybe nothing will come of it. I don't know. But maybe something will. It's about being faithful when God opens the opportunity. And that's what Peter has here. He's got this group. They are astonished. And and Peter doesn't just say, well, you know, come to our regular worship service. We'll be meeting at 7 o'clock at night. He takes the opportunity right then and there to share about Jesus. And that's something that you can do in your daily life. that, That you don't have to say... 
well, you know, why don't you come and talk to my pastor on Sunday? You can say to them right there, you know, let me tell you a little bit about Jesus. By the way, I'd be glad if you invited them and can meet them and we'll, we'll talk to them then too. But, but don't miss the opportunity what's in front of you is what we're saying. So Peter shares about the death and resurrection of Jesus. If, if you can't think of anything else to say when you're sharing with someone, take it right back to Jesus. Don't try to give them pat answers. Don't try to pretend you, you know something uh, uh, and you can shoot down their arguments about evolution. Sometimes we do get stumped with some of those questions. But we know Jesus. And we know God's word is true. And that's what we can take them to in our conversations. So Peter says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, uh, the God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murder to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Jesus, or Peter is saying Jesus is truly God. By saying the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, he's reminding this crowd who are Jewish that, that this is the God who has made all of these promises down through the ages. And he is saying to them, God has acted again in Jesus. And while he doesn't say Jesus is God's son, the, the very fact that he calls Jesus here the author of life, He's saying Jesus is just as much God as the Father is God. And you killed him when he was here on earth. And then in verse 16, Peter says, And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Sometimes we have opportunity when someone knows we're going through a hardship and they ask you, how do you get through it? You can tell them, it's Jesus Christ. Maybe even say, you know, I can't explain it all. Who can explain all that happens in the spiritual world? But Jesus is real because he died and rose again and I have seen him work in my life and the lives of others. Peter speaking to Jewish people who would have been very familiar with honoring the name of God, that we turn to God only, says to these people, Jesus is the author of life, and only God is the author of life. And then he says, His name has accomplished this. And only the name of God has the power to do the things that happened in the name of Jesus. He's telling them who Jesus is. But he's testifying to the death and resurrection and saying God has done this and now look at what he's doing in our life. That is what evangelism is. That is what we God has called us to be taking and sharing. The man was healed because he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Is your faith and trust this morning in the Lord Jesus Christ? That whatever you walk through, Jesus is your King and Lord. He is a gentle shepherd who takes care of you according to His will, who has the power over all the things that are happening in your life. And sometimes he allows those things to, to continue so that you might trust him more. But he is showing you that he is good and gracious and worthy of your trust. We try often in our lives to make bargains with God. God, I will trust you if you do this for me. God, I want you to do this and then I'll believe in you more. If only, God, I would be able to see what this man saw, this healing, then I will believe in you. That's not faith in the name of Jesus. That's putting God out there and putting him to a test and saying, God, 
do what I want you to do. And then I'll be good to you by doing what you want me to do. Peter says it's by his name and faith in his name that this man was made well. We need to put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that means as we grow in that, that we entrust him with all of our lives. That means also that we entrust him and look to him for opportunities to share. We're going to take communion in just a few minutes. But I want you to take a moment or two and examine your heart. First, ask yourself this. Do I know the Lord Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? Have I placed my faith and trust in him? Have I received him and responded to this work that he does in his death and his resurrection? The second thing I want you to ask yourself this morning, how is my walk with the Lord? Right now, where do I stand before God? When's the last time I talked to him in prayer? Do I have any secret sins that I haven't confessed, that I'm being stubborn about them, that I know Jesus isn't pleased with them, but I just don't want to give them up. Communion is a time where we are to examine our own hearts. We do that in prayer and we profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are only to take of the table if we know he's our Lord and Savior. But scriptures admonish us, teach us, Uh, to examine what is going on in your life. Do you trust in Jesus Christ? Do you have faith in Him? Are you walking in fellowship with Him in the light? If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, confess Him now and receive the forgiveness of sins. If you have something that you've been trying to, to hide from God, maybe some bargain that you've been making with God, some something that you're being stubborn about, Take this time right now and acknowledge God. Ask for forgiveness. When the Apostle Paul encountered Jesus, Jesus said, Paul, Paul, why do you persecute me? Paul was described as kicking against the goads, being so stubborn, thinking that he knew what was best for himself. If that's where you are, I encourage you to yield to God before you take communion. Stop trying to do it in your own way. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come into your presence and we ask that you would be here with us. We ask that as we take communion today that you would encourage us, build us up, remind us of the Lord Jesus's Uh, death and and resurrection, that as we do it together, we would experience the fellowship that we have with you and the fellowship that we have with one another, that your blood cleanses us just as surely as we take in the symbol of your body and blood. uh, We are assured that spiritually your body has paid for our sins. Your blood has washed them away. Oh, such a tremendously good thing. Such great and awesome news for us to hear. We just praise you for that in your name. Amen.